thank you everyone for coming um, to this uh, Workers' Liberty, ABCs of Marxism uh, talk on uh, identity politics. Um, we've got Cathy who's going to speak for about a quarter of an hour um, and then the floor will be open to uh, questions, contributions. Um, My name is Cathy um, and I am um, a member of Workers' Liberty in South London. And um, so, as Chrissy said, I'm going to try and talk for about 15 minutes. Um, actually, the, the, the exact title of this session is the politics of identity rather than identity politics. But I will be talking about identity politics because I think there was a definitely a reversal from politics of identity to identity politics, which I think is worth explaining. And that's going to be the sort of main part of my talk. Um, so this whole series is about looking at aspects of Marxism and Marxism is a way of analysing systems of exploitation and class or relations of class and power um, and also to an, a degree um, inequality. But um, those things are not just about inequality and differentials of inequality and power are not just about economics, about whether you're rich and you own wealth on the one hand, or whether you're a wage slave on the other hand, which is how the sort of Marx, Marxist framework is generally um, put across and, and, and described. Um, there is also lots of other kinds of structural discrimination, discrimination that's either, um, it has been passed in the case of women has been passed on from societies older than capitalism or um, in the case of homophobia are to do with um, trying, you know, the kind of role of the family in, in capitalist society. Or it, that's one aspect of it anyway. And that structural discrimination is what we'd call oppression. There's all kinds of oppression based on perceived differences, um, prejudice, um, based on perceived differences. Um, so that might be gender, gender identity, skin colour, nationality, minority, being a part of a minority religion, sexuality, and so on and so forth. Um, there's many others besides which I've not mentioned. So Marxists have had over, you know, the course of years and decades, had lots of dis debates and discussions about how oppression works and how it links together with class exploitation and how those kinds of oppression actually strengthen division and strengthen class exploitation. Putting it crudely, perhaps, well, very crudely, um, making some working class people better off than others. I'm gonna talk a bit about that because that sounds a bit like privilege, which is one of the things that's quite often talked about, um, um, you know, in, over the last sort of 10 years when we talk about some of these issues. Um, it's fair to say that Marxists haven't always been quick off the mark in analysing oppression. They've been guilty of bias sometimes, and sometimes it's to do with having a kind of quite dogmatic Marxism, which would see, um, you know, trying to make a more sophisticated analysis, which takes account of oppression, would be to undermine your, your basic argument about class, class exploitation. Now, we don't agree with that. We think that it's really very important to look at how division arises and to analyze how division arises um, in, um, within, within class 
um, not least because you want um, to try to create an effective movement where people are united. Um, and nowhere, in fact, did Marx or um, you know, his contemporaries argue that um, the problems of being working class per se, you know, the problems that arise from being exploited and being a wage slave are more difficult necessarily than the problems that arise from, um, from being a person who's also oppressed. Um, so it's not about, you know, relative amounts of suffering, particularly. I mean, you, you can't argue that somebody who is gay, who lives in a virulently homophobic society, um, suffers, um, you know, less than um, somebody who, you know, works, um, you know, works um, for uh, seven, eight, nine pounds an hour on a minimum wage in that, you know, in, in a that sort of job um it, it's not about suffering these things you can't be you know you can't compare these things it's not that's not how we work that's not what we think about particularly um so in the first place the politics of identity just to be clear that's what i'm talking about the politics of identity um, um if you think that identity um is based around your experience of oppression your experience in society as a human being, um, whether it be about being, a, you know, a woman, being black, being gay, um, the politics of identity is based on fighting oppression. And for Marxists, that's fair enough. You know, that's that's fair enough because we don't like oppression and we want to see an end to it. You know, we're we're people that um, you know, we're people that which are socialists. We should have basic human solidarity like that. And fighting oppression um, was the basis and, the, and therefore the politics of identity was the basis for the, um, the, the modern, um, modern social movements um, like the women's movement, black power, um, gay liberation and so on. Um, so, you know, and, and those were good movements. They were movements that we supported because they, they were about fighting oppression and they, that fight was in history um, when those emerged, you know, in the 60s and onwards, um, was long overdue. So, um, you know, there's no, there's no problem for us in, in, in that sense with the politics of identity. However, are the politics always of identity always supportable? Now, that's a different question, and that's, that's something that you have to answer concretely. So, you know, there was a big scandal about a year or more ago about, um, about the BB what the BBC paid to its top women presenters and, um, you know, on people that were women that were employed on BBC shows. Um, so there were only two women out of 20 women that got the top wages, which is something like, you know, maybe um, half a million pounds a year. Um, are you bothered about that? I'm not particularly bothered about that. What I'm more bothered about is what other people in the BBC are getting paid at the lower end of the scale, uh, you know, the cleaners, um, and for that matter, the people that are the jobbing reporters and researchers that are often employed in very precarious um, jobs. And, um, and, you know, they should be getting um, a decent wage um, as well. They should be getting a decent wage full stop. So that's what I'm bothered about. So the whole thing about the gender pay gap, when you put it in those terms, doesn't feel very meaningful to me at all. Um, and in fact, I would argue for a pay cut for quite a lot of those people, the women included. So it's all about sort of, our, you know, trying to look at these issues 
concretely and what they're linked to in terms of fighting for a more equal, non-exploitative society. And increasingly in 2020, there, there are these very conservative ways of looking at um, issues of oppression, issues of discrimination. Um, whereas the original movements of the 60s and 70s um, were, um, were very much about building a better society, a more equal society overall. Lots of people involved were socialists, were very conscious about, um, about you know, fighting for equality. Um, they were for liberation, by which they meant they wanted a sort of revolutionary overhaul of society. Um, now we're talking very, very conservative terms about these issues in all sorts of ways. And I think that to understand what that is, you need to look at two, why that is, you need to look at two things. First of all, um, there was a backlash against these social movements based on fighting oppression. Um, and that, you know, sort of that coincided with the sort of late 70s and the rise of sort of a neoliberal politics um, in um, capitalist societies around the world. And... Um, Whereas, you know, um, I think, um, okay, just to, not to, because I might, might speak too long if I go into this. I think that um, that kind of backlash obviously has continued. And, um, and it's, it's so part of the picture is that there's just an overall shift to the right. And now, for instance, you see the alt-right have taken up the ban banner of a particular kind of, of identity politics which they themselves have adopted, which is that of white, the perspective of so-called white Christian people. Um, and this is utterly reactionary, of course. Um, and they say, you know, the, the, their, you know, their argument is that we're oppressed because, you know, Christian society or European society has been taken over, um, uh, you know, um, swamped in various ways by immigrants, um, sometimes and also by Muslims, and sometimes there's also there's an anti-Semitic um, uh, tropes within within that um, within that argument as well. So this is so there's a general shift to the right. So that's one thing. That's one aspect of it all. And the other aspect of it all it, uh, is that um, those social movements that existed in the 60s and 70s gradually, gradually became detached um, uh, from, um, from their base or their base maybe withered. You know, they, they didn't last forever. They kind, of, they, kind of, they kind of withered. And it's important to remember that um, at the same time that those, those movements um, became smaller, it's also the case that lots of um, class struggle um, movements, lots of um, militant sort of trade union action and labour movement action um, and even sort of revolutionary um, movements also um, were defeated and, um, and the left itself went into decline. So, but these, these kinds of ideas around oppression and about the importance of oppression um, remained. They, were, they, 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 you know, as indeed the idea of socialism has not died, you know, the idea of being on the left has not died. These ideas also um, hung around and that's a good thing, but they also sort of changed direction. So um, they may have been incorporated into university curriculum at some point. I know there's a thing about now about how, you know, university curriculums are very sort of backward looking and, you know, need to be de decolonized and um, looked at again. But 
it's true that there were lots of women's studies departments set up around um, um, in universities or set up in universities um, in the 1980s. I mean, when I was at York, there was women's studies departments set up. So, and that's where, that's where you did, you started to do your feminism. You also started to do your feminism in NGOs. Um, again, I was employed by uh, such a, an NGO that was set up in the 80s called the Women's Environmental Network. And worked for them for a couple of years they were set up in the 1980s and that's that's where feminism to to a degree actually went and it became less of a movement more of a thing that became institutionalized and embedded and at the same time you know the left left shrunk a bit so and you know became detached from its own um just just became detached from the people that they were advocating for and fighting for um, the ideas that they were fighting for. Um, so, you know, you may have, um, I mean, as we did, we um, argued against stop and search in the 1980s um, and how, you know, we looked at how young, young black men in particular were being victimised by that, um, by the police in that way, um, in places like Brixton in South London. Um, but you, there were very few, you know, increasingly there were very, there were much, there were many more le leftist people in that, embedded in that community doing, doing that work. Um, so I think, it, you know, it really happened like that on the ground, you know, things became, the left became very detached from, um, from its base, from the, from, um, so that, that was a problem. And that's to do, as I said, is to do with defeat. So, you know, we were arguing against the police um and how the police behaved um but we just lost the miners strike in which the police basically broke up the strike were used by the state to break up that start that fight so you know it, it was about it, lots of it was about to do with a, quite lots of different um aspects of things in the way in which the labor movement was defeated so you've got this shift to the right and you've got this problem on the left and then you've got the right being able to say in some way, not necessarily because of the, it was the left's fault, being able, but being able to say that the left was somehow unrepresentative. Um, and that kind of fed into the idea that um, the politics of identity was unrepresentative and divisive, and that um, it didn't speak to ordinary people. Um, and you know that was quite a dis that was obviously a very dishonest and very cynical thing for the right to say right to say but nonetheless that's what happened and you've got um you've got things like the kind of backlash against this so-called political correctness was the beginning of that and that was in the 1990s okay um so i'm cutting a long story short but there's a kind of flip i think on the left from the from being interested rightly in the politics of identity to identity politics and i think that you need to kind of explain that and it that's the only way that's the only way to do it so i think the original movements against oppression say for instance the original feminist movements did talk about the experience of oppression. And that was very important. That was important so that people could find a voice, so that people could find a right, a right analysis, could have some insight in order to find a right analysis of the way to talk about oppression and what it meant in capitalist society. Um, so I think that was fair enough, you know, to talk about experience on that level. But um, 
it became something else. It talked about it became um, it became um, that the experience was all important. That was all you needed in order to develop a politics around this, which of, I would argue, as I hope you, the logic it, that you're following from what I'm arguing is that it that that, um, that you need to link in um, what you think about how you analyse oppression into an overall politics about how capitalist society works. Um, so the kind of flip was about the end of the 70s um, um, when you've got, I mean, the, 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 the invention of the phrase is being, um, has been put down to um, a black lesbian, Boston-based American uh, black lesbian collective called the Comahee River Collective. And um, actually what they were concerned about was the way in which um, they needed to find a strategy um, from their point of view, which, um, you know, they felt alienated from quite a lot of mainstream feminism because it was very, very white, but also very middle class. And sometimes they, uh, they needed to be, feel that they, um, what was more important to them was to fight um, issues around racism. Um, and that was something that was kind of, you know, not taken account, account of within, within the feminist movement. Um, Bell, um, Bell Hooks talks about this a lot, quite, quite, quite well. I think she's a socialist who talks talks quite articulately about this. So they were, they were, they were people that were actually had an overall strategy for changing society, but they did. It did become uh, quite important to them. It was this very specific um, idea of their very specific experience, and you know, I think people sort of or took that up in a way in which was was kind of quite one-sided and not very um, not very subtle really, not very nuanced. Um, and that coincided with the left becoming more more isolated. So um, it became by the sort of middle eighties when I came into politics, um, identity, um, your what you could say was your experience, what you could point to as part of your experience became a way to kind of sometimes to find leverage in order to win a political argument so I remember being in um, arguments of the left um, with very articulate women um, I, I remember being with one very articulate woman uh, who still around who uh, we were, were arguing about the politic Irish politics about politics in Northern Ireland and um, she said well you know as an Irish woman um, you know, I think that you need to um, take account of the fact that I think that republicanism is really great. And I mean, not so much, not very much, um, not very much um, more than that, really. And it wasn't a way, it was a way of avoiding a political argument. I don't think it was cynical, but I do think it, people have got into this kind of cult mindset, if you, if you like, about how to, about how to argue. Um, and so that made it very difficult to argue because, you know, you couldn't get down to the actual politics and the actual subject. Um, okay, so just a bit more to go. Um, so that kind of um, sort of like trying to outdo each other in terms of, you know, experiences in oppression points and things became, you know, from the, I think from the mid 80s became quite prevalent on the left. And it's gone in different waves and it, there's been different examples of that over the years. Um, 
The problem of talking about all this, though, is not descending into caricature and not just sort of like slagging off the left and saying, well, we'd never do that. Um, I think um, it is important to just simply stop and say, well, actually, um, um, you know, if you are, say, for instance, a woman in a male-dominated workplace, um, you may still today... Um, suffer discrimination, sexual harassment, but also kind of relationships with individual workmates, which, you know, from time to time will make you uncomfortable. There will be sexism involved, which you will have to challenge, or you will have to kind of pick your way through the point at which you challenge that and how you challenge that. So it becomes, you know, it is quite a complex interpersonal matter sometimes, which means that um, when people talk about um, privilege, um, which is, um, uh, they, they do talk about, you know, how much, um, you know, how much somebody else is less oppressed than you, how much more you are, are more oppressed than someone else, how much, therefore, how much, how more privileged they are on, on that sort of level. When people talk about that, um, I think it is quite divisive, but it is also real. And I think the point is for a socialist is to understand, is to, is to try to develop, you know, um, is try to say, well, how far does that really get you? And as understanding that, how far does that really get you? What do you need to do about it? Do you need to have an arg argument all the time about um, this, that or other, um, um, you know, you know, relationship or bad relationship that you have with another individual or sets of individuals or do you need to sort of tackle things at their root or do you do both i think you do a bit of both but tackling things at the root is something that is is less um is done less and less of um today and i think i think that's important um so I think sometimes the left does appear as if it's just talking with its, within its own social circle. And that is a problem. You know, it doesn't, it isn't out looking enough. It isn't saying, let's have this campaign about workplace um, harassment in the workplace. We're, let's have this campaign about, um, about low pay for, for, for women. Let's have this campaign about, um, it certainly isn't saying this, let's have this campaign um, in defence and solidarity with migrant workers. Um, you know, let's have this campaign about um, doing something about police harassment. You know, it's not doing those things. It's not doing those basic things, which are not just sort of bread and butter economic issues. They're important social issues and political issues. So um, there's some now on the left, indeed, um, people who I would call um, Stalinists, who are, who say that, fighting on these issues is always negative or is sometimes negative is, is negative in certain circumstances and um you know it kind of overrides the thoughts and feelings of ordinary working class people now the problem with that of course is that ordinary working class people are um you know black gay transgender you know they are that's ordinary working class people that you're talking about who are affected by by these issues so um, that's not the answer. That that kind of left response is not the answer. The answer is to reverse the things that the left, um, uh, you know, the way that the left has grown away from its base, uh, to reverse, you know, how 
you know, small we've become and to, to try to build the left in, in the sort of broad sense, build the organisations of the left. Um, that's in, including the Labour Party. And to become, and particularly the Labour Party in a way, because it has, as a mass party, has, it has the ability to connect to um, working class people. Um, and to work, you know, to connect to things and to, to fight for things that are important to working class people. Um, but we also have to sort of not drop the, the, the camp, you know, our concern about bigotry and discrimination, not drop that at all, but to link it through systematically, um, you know, to, uh, and to find ways to, um, to analyse how it is connected to, um, you know, those kinds of structural discrimination and prejudice, how that is connected to class exploitation and, and, um, and uh, you know, poverty and inequality, because the two things are very much connected.